0: Good morning. Today's Old Testament passage comes from the book of 1 Kings, um, chapter 8, verses 22 through 29, and it can be found on page 340 in your pew Bible. Solomon's Prayer of Dedication Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep the covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised it, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let the word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be opened toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. This is the word of the Lord. And the New Testament
1: reading is from Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. It can be found on pages um, page uh, 970. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hello? Hello? Uh, the problem was mine. Sorry. <laughs> you ever heard that story about someone going to a protest, holding up a sign like, I am the problem? Um, anyway. Here we are. Okay. <laughs> anyway, today we are uh, answering this question, what is the kingdom of God? Um, and we heard the Lord's Prayer this morning because Jesus instructed his disciples and us to pray, well, we are his disciples, hopefully, um, and us to pray regularly, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, what is this kingdom that we are praying for? Um, hopefully, you all have some idea of the answer. Um, it's important because the kingdom of God, or the coming kingdom of God, is the gospel. It is what we're here for, it's the whole show. Um, I'm sure that many of you were taught um, that a better summary of the gospel is something like, Jesus died for my sins. Uh, And that is partly right, but it's just too small. Um, It's not quite big enough. Um, It's like going to a party and seeing the entrance to the party and stopping there as if it were the whole thing. Just the door. And, like, it's true, you do need the door to get into the party. And if there wasn't a door, there would be no party. And, like, it's pretty amazing that you get to go to the party at all. But the real thing happens when you walk through the door. So, like, forgiveness is central. But that's because it's the way in to the kingdom of God. That's why when Jesus began to preach... Matthew 4 says that his sermon was, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Luke 8 says that Jesus went through every town and village preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. When he sent out the 12 and then sent out the 70, that's what Jesus told them to preach, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, that it was coming, that it had in fact already arrived, is the gospel as Jesus preached it. So what does it mean? And there are a bunch of ways that we could explain this. I'm going to talk us through three. Um, pretty much all the same thing, just kind of from different directions. The first one is simple definitions. The second uh, will take us kind of through the account of the whole story of Scripture. And the third will give it to us in pictures through the life of Jesus. So first we're just going to define the words. Um, a kingdom, of course, is a form of government. Where a king or a queen is in charge, like we in the United States don't have a lot of experience with kingdoms, um, so sometimes that talk of a kingdom can sail right past us. And like the most, you know, kingdom we know the most well uh, in England is like not really a kingdom. So like in the way that they're talking about now. So even when we think about the king and queen we know of, um, it just doesn't quite hit home. In a kingdom a ruler is in charge, answerable to no one. Right, like here in our democracy, an elected president is more or less in charge, but he or she is answerable to the people and the Constitution and the House and the Senate. Like There are checks and balances on that power. In a kingdom, the ruler is in charge. There are no checks and balances to that power. A kingdom is where what the king or queen says goes. Period. In the kingdom of God is where, then, is where what God says goes. Period. It's where God alone is in charge. And you hear that definition in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven In that prayer, we ask God's rule to be as true here on earth as it is in heaven. And that means it's not just a spiritual or emotional change. It's not even just a change in character. It is concrete, and it will affect everything. We are asking God's rule to invade our everyday lives, our hearts, our houses, our workplaces, our judicial system, our democracy, each and every country and the relations between those countries and all of the rest of God's groaning creation, every part. We are asking that God would be in charge on earth just as God is in charge in heaven. In short, in the prayer, we are asking for worldwide revolution. Jesus' good news, the gospel, was the good news of God's reign over all the earth. The kingdom of God is where what God says goes. That's our simple definition. For the second explanation, we're going to step back and understand this kingdom announcement with a little bit of biblical context. Like, why is that the thing that needed to be preached? Um, I really, really like how the Bible Project teaches this. Um, We watched some of those videos in a series a while ago. If you don't know the Bible Project, look it up. Even if you do, look it up and watch their video called Heaven and Earth. Um, It's like five or six minutes. Super-duper helpful. Um, You can also watch the one about the temple... I'm going to summarize parts of both of them in this section. This pretty much is just straight from the Bible Project. Uh, <laughs> but they get to do it with pictures, so it's better. Um, <laughs> I couldn't show you, but it's not quite the same on our video screen. Anyway, um, so in the Bible Project, they draw two circles to represent two spaces that the Bible talks about. Um, one circle is God's space, and the other is human space. Um, you know, this, it, this is... It's never going to be a perfect illustration, so just we're going to take it for what it's good. But I'm sure there are problems, and you can come up with them and tell me about them if you want. But here is how they explain it. Okay, there are these two circles. Um, And at creation, when God created everything good, those spaces were the same space. They were not distinct from one another. Then God's will was done on earth as it was done in heaven. The two were the same place. But when sin entered the picture, sin and shame and fear and death entered human space and the two were split apart. And so the biblical narrative often calls God's space things like heaven or eternal life or the kingdom of God. It is the place where God is in charge. The Bible often calls human space, as it is separated from God's space, things like the world, the present age, the age of sin and death. It's not that there's no goodness in human space. God still created it good, and God has not abandoned it. But there is this distinction. In many, many instances, God's will is not done here. And it is destructive to all of us. And God was not pleased with this new split arrangement, and so decided to do something about it. And the whole story of Scripture is God's persistence in reconciling what was broken at the fall. Bringing those two spaces back together again. That's what the temp- tabernacle and the temple were all about. They, through all sorts of rules and sacrifice and rituals, allowed the two spaces to have an overlap. Okay? In the ta- which you could put, like, right, the tabernacle or the temple right in the center of that overlap. Um... In the tabernacle and later the temple, God made a pocket of God's space in human space. Does that make sense? You following? Okay. Um, God made a place where God and humans could be together again. That's why the temple and the tabernacle were decorated with all sorts of fruit trees and flowers and gold and jewels. They were designed to remind you of Eden when the two spaces were one. And everything was as it should be. But then that one little overlap wasn't quite enough. And God did another thing. Jesus came. But it wasn't really a new thing. It was still kind of the same thing. John 1 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that Greek word for made his dwelling is literally tabernacled. Like the tabernacle. Jesus became the place of intersection where heaven and earth meet, where once it was the temple and tabernacle that fulfilled that role. Now it was the person of Jesus. In Jesus, God made God's dwelling with people again. But this time, the space didn't wait for people to come to it. It didn't require rituals and rules, and God took the sacrifice on God's own self Now, this overlapping space in Jesus went to the people, and not even just the holiest ones, like it was required that you would be to enter into the Holy of Holies. Jesus went to everyone. And so in the life of Jesus, we can see pictures of what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven, because the kingdom came in Jesus, Jesus' own person, was the place where what God says goes. When Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near, he meant both that one day it will come to envelop everything and that it had already come in him. Then, because God is never settled with half measures, through Jesus' death, and resurrection and ascension through the giving of the Holy Spirit, that overlapping space expanded, not just, not just beyond a building like the temple or tabernacle, but also beyond Jesus' own human body. Now the people of God, that's you, have the capacity to be the overlap space as well. The kingdom of God is in your midst wherever God's will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. And we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. Um, The ways that we see that uh, exhibited now. And when we talk about the kingdom of God, we always talk about it in this now and not yet language, right? It's here, and we're still waiting for it to come in full. And that's because the overlap is still partial. Those two spaces haven't completely joined But the overlap, though partial, is still real. And it may actually be the truest thing about this world. I said may, actually. You'll cross those things out. It is actually the truest thing about this world. Like, it's pretty easy for me, um, as like an Enneagram 4, if you know the Enneagram, it's pretty easy for me to talk about the not yet. Like, I have a bent towards the pain. It's pretty easy for me to talk about all the ways that we're still longing for the kingdom to come. We're still longing for God's peace and justice and love to arrive fully in our midst, but over the next few weeks, we want to spend some time talking about the now of the kingdom because it is now. For today, we're going to move on to our third definition of the kingdom, um, which we see in the life of Jesus. Uh, I want to... Um, just say that this portion of my sermon, the last portion I took from the Bible Project, this portion I'm taking from uh, someone else, our old preaching professor, Professor Daryl Johnson. Um, and honestly, I'm a little uncomfortable with how I'm taking this. Uh, some of it is his words, and some of it is mine, and I kind of mingled them together, and I'm not telling you which is which. Uh, so... <laughs> I feel a little uncomfortable about that, but also, uh, having been in many of Professor Johnson's classes, I think he would be okay with it, so we're just going to go ahead. But I would commend to you the lecture that, I, that a lot of this is coming from. Um, I can't even give you the title, because it's actually mistitled, but I could try and send it to you, and if it doesn't, I'll find it for you, or we can plan a party and I'll listen to it together. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, all right. Anyway, in looking, uh, in looking at the life of Jesus, we get to see pictures of the kingdom of, of what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's how we learn to recognize it, how we learn to seek it first. That's how we learn to see it when we encounter it in our lives, because it, it just doesn't look like any other kingdom that we know, and so sometimes it can be confusing. Like kingdoms, at many times through history, have been quite scary. Right? Just the idea of it is unnerving, one person with so much power. And there have been many kings who have exploited their people, struck fear into the hearts of others, who have destroyed identity and culture, but not this king and not this kingdom. The coming of the kingdom of God is a revolution of a very different kind. Something entirely new. Our king Jesus, when he walked this earth, he fed the hungry and healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind and set the oppressed free. He loved the ones that no one else would love. He stood with the powerless and the poor. Because that's what it looks like when God is in charge. That is the kingdom of God come near. When a leper on the side of the road called out to Jesus... Jesus didn't walk past ignoring him like he was expected to or like any other king might have. He stopped and turned and extended his hand, touching the man's diseased body. Our king gave that ostracized man attention, dignity, touch, healing both his body and his heart. That's what it looks like. When the kingdom of God breaks into this world, Jesus went to a wedding, and there he quietly turned 120 gallons of water into the finest wine just to protect a clueless host from shame, just to keep the joy of the party from being interrupted. That is the kingdom of God come near. When the seas roared and Jesus' disciples came to him fearing for their lives, he stretched out his arm again. Be still, he said. And the winds died down and the waves quieted. That is the kingdom of God come near. That is the rule of God overcoming the rule of chaos. When Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish from a little boy and with them fed 5,000 people, And money and schedules of the day and the pressures of life all took their place alongside the abundance of God, suddenly and curiously inconsequential. That's the kingdom of God come near. That's heaven breaking in upon the earth. Jesus encountered a man held captive by a demon and no person and no chain could hold him and Jesus simply spoke, Be gone. And the man became an integrated whole. For the first time in his life, he was at peace with himself. Able to be at peace with others. That is the kingdom of God come near. Jesus called together his followers, bringing together the most unlikely people. um, Two of them especially, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector. Simon, an armed revolutionary, a terrorist. And Matthew, a collaborator with foreign invaders. These are the worst kind of political rivals. Enemies. And yet, in Jesus Christ, they became brothers. That is the kingdom of God come near. Jesus called women, gave them the right to be his disciples and to preach the gospel. The woman from Samaria was the first person to preach his gospel and Mary the first to preach the resurrection. And that is the kingdom of God come near. That is the old order being displaced by the new. Jesus called children to himself, took hold of them, lifted them into his arms and blessed them and that is the kingdom of God come near. Jesus invited himself to dinner at the home of Zacchaeus, a tax collector who must have been as crooked as they come because during the meal, Zacchaeus promised to pay back fourfold anything, from, <laughs> fourfold anything he had stolen. The kingdom of God has come near. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus said. Jesus sat at a meal in the upper room. He got up from the table, wrapped a towel around himself, and bent low to wash his disciples' feet. The kingdom of God has come near. That is God's new world order breaking into the old. But you can't announce a new kingdom invading this earth and live as if it were real without getting in trouble with the kingdoms of the world. And so eventually Jesus ended up on the cross, And instead of calling his armies of angels and the power of God to destroy those who would threaten him, he went to the cross willingly, taking upon himself all the violence and evil, all the hatred, to die there with him. Jesus watched as the guards nailed his hands and feet into planks of wood. He felt those wounds throb as they raised him up to torture him and to leave him to die. But his words were not vengeance and hatred. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because that is what it looks like when God is in charge. Love and mercy take the place of fear and violence. That is the kingdom of God come near. Three days later, the women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body, But they found the tomb empty because death belongs only to human space, not God's space. That is the kingdom of God come near. Fifty days later, Jesus' disciples gathered in a room, afraid. Jesus baptized them in and with the Holy Spirit, and they were filled with joy, freed to love, empowered to serve. The kingdom of God has come near. That is the future spilling into the present. That is heaven breaking in upon the earth. In Jesus, we see the kingdom of God, bringing about liberation and wholeness, reconciliation and cleansing, transformation and recreation. When the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven, the darkness is lifted, bondage is broken, people are made whole, relationships are restored, communities are knit together, bodies are healed, and there is justice for the powerless and the silenced. In the book of Revelation, John has this beautiful vision of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem descending to the earth. The two spaces, God's space and ours, reunited again as they were once in the Garden of Eden. Only now it's a garden city, full and flourishing, and all that has been broken is set right. The new order overtaking the old, finally and fully. That is the hope of the gospel. That what is broken will be whole again. Beginning now. Beginning now. As we wait even for the day when it will come in full. When the not yet will be no more. And it will only, only be now. Please pray with me. Lord God, may we see your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may we do your will. May we live in that kingdom now. even as we wait for it to come in full. In Jesus' name, amen.